exalted be his name. Bless the Lord God. Having the kids and the teachers a double blessing, but also a when they leave, a half the church leaves. <laughs> but that's a good thing. Bless the Lord God. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at um, 18 through 24, or start to look at that at least. Um, every time I think I'm going to speed up a little bit, the Lord says, eh uh-uh. So, um, let's just read the, uh, the passage and we'll go from there. The Lord leads. For we had not come to Mount that might be touched and burned with fire or of blackness and darkness and tempest, talking about Mount Sinai in the old, uh, under the old covenant. And the sound of trumpets and the voices of, of words, which voice they heard, entreated that the word should not be spoken unto them any more. They were afraid of God speaking to them directly. So they told Moses in Exodus 20, he said, um, verse 19, he says, don't let him talk to us anymore. It was twofold in the fact that the voice convicted them and also the fact they said, have him talk to you and then you tell us. And that way, I don't know, they realize it, but psychologically you could say, well, that was just the, the word of man. Because the word of God you can't ignore. So that's just, that's just your interpretation of what God said. So that sort of gave them a way out if they wanted to take it. It was dangerous and sinful and rebellious. Verse 20, but they could not endure that which was, was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it was to be stoned or thrust through with the dark. And it was so, was terrible was the uh, sight of Moses set on his exceeding fear and quake. But you've come unto Mount Zion. Hallelujah. In these next two verses, there are ten things, ten descriptions of Mount Zion. You have come unto Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the innumerable company of angels, and the general assembly, and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and the God of all, the God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, that word made there is a perfect participle, which means having done and doing. We realize that his word is still bringing us to completion. As much as we know, as much as we are uh, applying and it's applicable to our lives, it still is doing a work beyond that. We never should be satisfied with our position in Christ. 
is always more. There's always greater heights and depths within him. Always much more uh, that he wants to move in and through us. Blessed be his name. Verse 24, and Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Thank you, Lord God. Mediator of a new covenant. We don't have to go through the high priest. We don't have to go through anybody else. We have direct connection with him because he came to die for our sins, to remove our sins, and we don't need to go to anybody else but him. Blessed be his name. And the sprinkling, and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Obviously, I'm not going to touch all of those. I'm, I will, not, I mean, not today at least. But we'll touch on the, those that the Lord allows us to through there because each one has a, a significance. But as it was saying in verse 18, Mount Sinai represented the old covenant, the old kingdom, the natural kingdom of the Jews. That's what it represented. It said, we've not come to that old covenant. We've not come to that old kingdom. That's no longer relevant, no longer in, uh, in reality. And it was a natural kingdom. David was a natural king. David and Solomon were the height of Israel's natural kingdom. But it all passed away. There's another kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, that will never pass away, whose king is Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. And it was in that Mount Sinai, mountains in the word of God represent authority and kingdom rulership. But more than just when they're speaking of mountains is especially when it's in, in the prophetic and so forth, it's speaking of a kingdom of authority that's in, the wor that's in operation at that particular time. Okay? And so this kingdom, that, that the old covenant was passing away, the old authority was passing away, and had passed away, and they hadn't realized it. The Jews didn't know it. They were still hanging on to, the Messiah is going to come and restore our kingdom. So that's what their expectation was. The king was going to come and we're they were going to throw off the rule of, of Rome and set up the, the natural kingdom of Israel again. But God had a better idea. He always does, by the way. Amen? Blessed be his name. Let's continue here. So, again, I'm just repeating from about three weeks ago. Um, it was an impersonal relationship with God. He was, when the tabernacle was, when Moses was set up in the wilderness, all they knew of him was the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. He was behind door three. And the high priest, once a year on the Day of Atonement, went in there and sprinkled the blood that covered their, their sins for another year. 
There never was any removal of sin. It was all, because atonement simply means to cover. But when Jesus came, sins were no longer, again, covered, but removed. Buried in the sea of his forgetfulness, psalmist tells us. Which I, I keep on saying this, and, but it's, it just mystifies me. Now, the omniscient God who knows everything, remembers everything, chooses to forget our sins. Thank you, Lord. I don't know. It, you know, maybe I, I'm easily mystified, but that just... My God, you forget it. And he doesn't bring it back up again, by the way. Once it's removed, it's no longer chargeable. If we're still charging ourselves for things we did in the past, we're holding ourselves above God because he's already forgotten it and forgiven it. Understand what I'm saying? When the enemy brings it up, you just say, show me the record. Is it, is it written on my parchment, if you will? There's no record of that. He's forgiven. He's forgotten. I am cleansed. I'm no it's no longer chargeable against me. Thank you, Lord God. And we're under a new covenant where, where the Lord is king. And he's not some distant and personal God. He's an up-close and personal God. He said, I'm nigh thee. I'm even in thy mouth. Just speak the word, and I'm there. And in, in all reality, he said, the God that was with you was now in us. He told, as the Holy Spirit has been with you, will now be in you. So do we don't have to go looking for him except to look on the inside because his spirit is, is within us. Blessed be his name. Dropping down to verse uh, 22. We have come unto Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels or messengers. <coughs> Excuse me. There were envoys. See, angels, that egalos in the Greek, it simply means messenger. It's one that is sent with a message or for protection or for whatever uh, is necessary for us. In Psalms, again, it's talking about Mount Zion and the city of the living God. So again, we're talking about a different kingdom, a larger kingdom. This kingdom not only fills the whole earth, it fills the whole universe. There is no end to this kingdom. There's no ex uh, limitations to this kingdom. Wherever God is, that's where his kingdom is. Well, blessed be his name. In Psalm 132, verse 13, it says, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. 
This is my resting place forever, and here will I dwell, for I have desired it. Is it the Lord is saying, I have desired this from the beginning. Mount Zion, the, the dwelling place, I can, that, a place where I can dwell on this earth and where people can come in, flow in and out of, if you will, my capital. Blessed be his name. Isaiah 2.2, uh, 2, he prophesies of this and says, now it shall come to pass in the latter days, in the latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and he shall be exalted above the hills. That means other earthly kingdoms be in subjection to him. And all the nations shall flow or flow together to it. And many people shall come and say, Come and let us go into the mountain of the Lord and to his house, his habitation of, of God, of Jacob. And he will teach us, he will point out, he will show, direct us uh, of his ways. Thank you, Lord. And, uh, he, and he shall, uh, we shall walk and proceed in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. See, when Isaiah spoke of this, they still thought in a natural sense. To some extent, it was true, but with every prophetic word, there's always uh, more, or can possibly be more than one fulfillment of that. Whenever the conditions come back into existence that the word, prophetic word fits into, it becomes applicable to that, that time. So they, again, their whole concept of the kingdom was the kingdom of Israel, the Jewish kingdom, the natural kingdom. And God was speaking us much beyond that. And they couldn't conceive of the fact that they were always God's chosen people. But God came, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he talked to Samaritans. He I still love the fact that the first person that he revealed himself as being the Messiah was the, to the Samaritan woman at the well. The woman that had had five husbands, was living with a sixth, was talking to her seventh. The one that can complete her. Blessed be his name. And he's told her, she said, well, we expect the Messiah to come. They the Samaritans believed in the, in the uh, Messiah would come. And she, but the Samaritans were hated by the Jews because they were half-breeds. They were a mixture of Jews and Gentile. 
and being partly Gentile disqualified them from anything and everything except God said I'm going to open it up to whosoever will may come and he says I am the Messiah and she goes back to her city in Samaria and tells everybody to come and see this man told me everything that I ever did and didn't judge me listen to that what, was, what happened under the law all of it was judgment he knew who I am and didn't judge me he told me who I was and didn't judge me blessed be his name let's continue in Revelation 14 we get a picture of another picture of Mount Zion another picture of, of a mount starting at verse 1 in chapter 14 and behold, lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him, amidst him, among him, were the 144,000, having his name, the actual uh, original says, his name and his father's name written on their foreheads, inscribed. Blessed be his name. I'm so glad he's willing to put his name on our forehead, saying, this one's mine. And Brother Clark, the other, last Sunday, talked about a, a blood stain. We bear our blood stain. He said, when I see the blood I will pass over you. The destroyer won't come into your house if it's as the blood of Jesus Christ marking us. Whether it's a natural house or your house, when he sees the blood, he can't enter in. Can't enter in. Blessed be his name. Let's continue. Verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven as a voice of many waters and the voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Let me back up here just a little bit because I want to. And I saw a lamb. The word lamb there is arnion. It's a Greek word arnion. And uh, it represents the Lord Jesus Christ as he as the well. There's, there's let me back. I'm get ahead of myself here a little bit. There's three words for uh, lamb in the New Testament. One is Aaron, which means a small lamb. It's only used once. That's in Luke 10. And then there's Amnos, which is the sacrificial lamb. 
when John said, when John 1 says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's the word amnos. It's the sacrificial lamb. Okay? But arnion is a, uh, has that as a root, but it means that the sacrificial lamb now is been endued with power and authority. It goes beyond just being a sacrificial lamb, but it's the king of kings and lord of lords. Is the victorious lamb. He's not just the slain lamb. He's the victorious lamb. Does that make sense? And that's found... Um, well, let me go... Like I said, I keep on jumping back and forth here because I want to get to this stuff. But I also want it to make sense. Back in verse 3, this, this 144,000... It says, they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four living ones, the living creatures, and the, uh, and the elders. So they're in the throne room, before the throne. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who were redeemed. And it's the same perfect participle that written was, which means having done and doing. The word redeem here simply means go to the marketplace to purchase. What did Jesus do? He went to the marketplace of sin and bought us. We were slaves to sin. He came and purchased us out of the marketplace of sin. That's simply what redeem means. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but that thrills me. He said, I'll take this one. And he pointed at you. Amen? Does that mean anything to anybody back out there? He said, I'll take this one. This one's mine. I can change this one. I will change this one. And I'll continue to change this one. He already did it, and he's continuing to do it. Blessed holy God. Let's continue here. Verse 4. And these are the ones who were not defiled, not polluted, or contaminated with women. In the natural sense, it's outside of marriage. In the spiritual sense, it's polluted by the harlot system or the, the, uh, the uh, antichrist system, the uh, harlot we see in the, in the book of Revelation. Because in the book of Revelation, there's two forces at, at, at work. There's the work of the enemy and his army, and there's the work of God's army. And they're in opposition. They're, they're battling it. But by the way, we win. Bless his holy name. See, that's one of the things about Satan. He's deluded. He thinks he can win. Blessed be his holy name. 
And these were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to his Lamb. Being the first fruits. Being the, uh, literally means in, in the Greek, first and superior and excellent to others of the same class. The farmers, well, one of the things that they offered the Lord and required to offer the Lord was at the beginning of every harvest, every feast, Passover, Pentecost, and uh, tabernacles were always in the time of a feast. And one of the things that was required is that they would bring the first fruits, the first fruits of the, the very, the crop that ripens first <clears throat> is always the best and strongest of whatever the crop is. And that was to be given to God. So when he talks about first fruits here, it says it's the, the very best of what God is working in the earth. Can you understand that? Does that make sense? So what he's doing, he says, these 144,000, and that, that uh, don't get hung up on the number because it's not necessarily a, a, a literal number. It's just a governmental number. 12 is the number of government, and it's 12 times 12,000 if you want to do that. It's just it's a, a people that are governed and working in, the, in his government, as it were, have laid hold of him in such a manner that he is, in fact, King of kings and Lord of lords in their life. There's no looking for another way out. No substitution. No, not, not going anywhere but to him. There are the people that when they're faced with something, they don't start trying to figure out what to do. They take it to him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, what is your purpose in this? He promised that you'd never bring anything upon me that you couldn't take care of. Amen? Has he been faithful in your life? He's always bigger than the situation. It's only when we focus so much on the situation that the situation becomes bigger than our God. Well, we in our, in our lifetime have faced some difficult situations. Had no answers in ourselves. The problems were much bigger than we were, but God. But God. You understand? But God. He always brought us through it. The situation didn't overcome us. He over, over, and we overcame the situation through the Lord Jesus Christ. I know what I'm talking about. Been there, done that. Spent a lifetime doing that.
I was six years old when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And he's never failed me yet. I failed him, but he's never failed me. And therefore, for 64 years, I've walked with him in varying degrees. I had some wild, what I considered wild times in my teenage years. <laughs> Why do you laugh? about God. He never let go. But you that have teenagers and children and grandchildren coming up, He never lets go. Those are your heritage which makes them His heritage. Can you understand that? Blessed be his name. This 144,000 sang a song that no one else could sing. because they, they were redeemed from the earth. There was, a, there was a, a sound within them that was different from the sound of the earth. It was a heavenly sound. It was a victorious sound. Blessed be his name. It wasn't mournful. It wasn't in, in a minor key, if you will. It was victorious and is victorious. Blessed be his name. Hallelujah. Let me go back to verse 4. These were not defiled not polluted by women. He's not talking about here because they were virgins. The word virgin there is actually male in gender. But what he was talking about, and people have misinterpreted this, he says, he's not talking about not getting married. He's talking, you, you can be married and in this realm, be spiritually a virgin. Because what he counts as being a virgin is the fact that you haven't allowed the things of the world to defile you. That's what this 144 is the people that have not been defiled. They didn't start that way, but that's how they ended up. The cleansing blood of the Lamb of God cleansed them from all unrighteousness. And they remained clean so they would they were virgins they didn't allow the, the things of the earth the natural things of the earth to draw them away from God their desires were not things of earthly desires but of heavenly desires can you understand that I know I'm trying to make this very simple, but I just don't want anybody to misunderstand what he's saying here. And spiritually, there's two facets of this. And spiritually, they weren't polluted by the harlot system, which if you look down in 
verse 8 of the same chapter, his, it says, And there were followed an, uh, another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city because it was made all nations to drink of the wine and wrath of her fornications. Talking about spiritual fornication. Idol worship. And when, you know, again, people when they say idol worship, they think of some stone image or something like that. You can bow down at the altar of the enemy and not have an image there. You just bow down to your soulish desires and worship that and pay more heed to that than to do the things of God. That's being polluted. Search us, O oh Lord. I join David consistently, Lord, search me and see if there be any wicked or lawless way in me. A lawless way can be an idol. Because a lawless way is where you take your opinion and your desire and put it over what God desires for you. Does that make sense? <clears throat> God's desire is that our hearts be single toward Him, not divided. Because a divided kingdom will not stand. Our hearts have to be singularly toward him. Blessed be his holy name. For these are virgins. These are those which follow the lamb, again, Arneon, wherever he goes. And these were redeemed from, from among men and are being the first fruits, the best of the best. And to God, uh, and the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. So what, what is he saying here? He says, here's a, a figurative people, a figurative number, 144,000, a governmental number. And they're with the Lamb of God, the Arneon, the victorious lamb, the, the uh, uh, warrior lamb, if you will, the overcoming lamb, overcame sin, sickness, and the grave. He's not just the lamb that shed his blood, but he's the victorious lamb. He's taken it up on a notch. Make sense? Because he's victorious. And he's got a victorious people with him. Because they love not their lives to death. Their suke lives. Their soulish lives. Let's continue here. And it says that they follow the lamb wherever so ever he went. Is there some place the Lord is leading you that you're not willing to go. Well, he'll never leave you or lead you someplace that will, in the ultimate, harm you. 
It may cost you something. The ways of the Lord always cost us. It costs us our ways. Amen, Brother Ted. Thank you. Blessed be his name. Verse 5. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault. They are blameless before the throne of God. There's no guile, no craft, no deceit, no lie in their mouth. Blessed Jesus. I've already touched on the first, um, first three, uh, first two of the three words translated as lamb. <coughs> Excuse me. In John 21, verse 15, see the word arnia or lamb, that's this conquering, overcoming lamb, is found 30 times in the New Testament. And only in John's writings. The only th and 29 of those times is found in the book of Revelation. 28 times of that is, is refers to the victorious Lamb of God. One time it talks about the Antichrist as being a lamb, that which is in opposition to God. So we've got 29 times it talks about the victorious Lamb, one time against the satanic Lamb. Okay? Now, I want to look at here at John 21, just for a second here. Starting at verse 15, John 21, 15. It says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said unto Peter, Simon, Son of John, or son of John, do you love me? Do you agapeo? Do you love me with God's love? Do you love me more than these? And he, Peter, said unto him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Filio, I fondly love you. That's what, that's what, what Jesus asked him. And he said un, unto him, Feed my lambs, feed my arnion. It's the only place in the New Testament it's found to be plural. What he's saying is, Feed my sons, my mature sons. Feed them, shepherd them, guide them with my word. continue on here. Verse 22. Uh, excuse me, 16, I'm sorry. And he said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Again, it's the root of agapeo, agapeo, the uh, verb form. 
And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I, Philio, I fondly love you. And he said unto them, Feed or shepherd my sheep. Different word. It's talked about little sheep, little flock. It's, um, it's a term of endearment. Uh, used to express a tender affection. Vine's expository dictionary tells us this. Feed my, my young sheep, not lambs, my young sheep, those that I have dearly loved, those I have given my life for. Feed them. Shepherd them. Protect them. Remember we talked about sheep are the only animals that have no natural protection. They have no claws. The teeth are blunt for eating grass. The only protection they have is by being huddled together. Hmm. And he calls us his sheep. Another thing about a sheep is they, they like to wander around. I don't really think it was very complimentary of the Lord to call us sheep. I'm just saying. We have no defenses. We'll eat anything that's in front of us. And we like to wander around. Go out on our own. But he says, your only protection. That was, that was the, uh, the job of the shepherd was to keep them together go into the pasture make sure there was no weeds or poisonous things that they would eat because if it was green they would eat it pull all those out and watch and make sure the wolves didn't come to attack them and scatter the flock continuing here the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest. This time it's Philio. He came down to his level. Do you fondly love me? And Peter gr was grieved because he had uh, asked him three times, Lovest thou me? Are you do you fondly love me? He says, Lord, thou knowest all things. Ever been there? Lord, you know everything that's going on. Yeah, I do. But do you know what's going on? He always knows what's going on. Lord, you know all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. I'm fondly, fondly love you. You're my friend. And Jesus said unto him, feed or give food to my tender flock, my sheep. That's the only time it's found in, in, in the Gospels or other than in the book of Revelation. It said, feed my lambs. Everywhere else it's singular. Are we his lambs? Are we his overcoming lambs? 
not wandering sheep, not straying sheep, not one sheep that eat anything that's before them, but they have a selective diet. They eat this word. They meditate upon this word. They live by this word. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they love not their suki life, their soulish life, unto death. Overcame him. Overcame who? The accuser of the brethren. Find that in Revelation 12. That's our overcoming. That's how we overcome. We eat this word. It becomes part of us. And it will guide us and keep us from all that will come against us. I think Jesus gave us a hint when after he was baptized and he was in the wilderness for 40 days and Satan came to him, how did he answer him all three times? It is written. You can't say that unless you know what is written. Hint. Not so subtle hint. Let's continue on. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Starting at verse 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by or in the Lord Jesus, in the Lord Jesus, that according as he hath received of us how we ought to, to walk and to, to please God, so you would abound more and more. Paul saying, I'm going to tell you what will help you continue to grow in the things of the Lord. For you know that what commandments we gave by or uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, even the sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Now, he starts, he starts listing out we're going to go here and in uh, another place, start listing out things that the 144,000 did to qualify. Okay? Does that make sense? Our sanctification. What is, what, Paul, what is the definition of that? Abstain from fornication. Obviously, natural bodily fornication should abstain from. But also, as we learn in um, 14, Revelation, there is that spiritual aspect also. Just because something sounds good doesn't mean it's God-spoken. Not, it's not God-breathed. Can you hear that, please? Because it tickle, tickles your soulish nature says, oh, that sounds good. Doesn't mean it's thus saith the Lord. Even though they might say that. Thus saith the Lord. You should do this and that and so forth. And if it doesn't, if it isn't written in that book, don't touch it. I don't care how 
enticing it was ministered, how enticing it was brought forth, how good it tickled your soulish person. Don't go near it. Because it will only bring death, not life. It will bring spiritual death, which eventually will produce physical death. Amen, Brother Tom. Thank you. Well, if I if the only one can amen, I'll, I'll I'll take it. Let's continue here. Verse four: That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and uh, and honor. We have to possess it. It doesn't. Our beginning journey, when we allow the Lord Jesus, when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, we are responsible to keep ourselves clean. We're clean by the washing of the water of the word. That's a daily process. Well... We have to learn how to draw from the well of truth, the well of living waters. That will sustain us. He's warning them here he says that, that you should know, know how to possess this, his vessel in sanctification and in honor. I'll ask myself a question, and you can listen. Lord, are the things that I do, do they bring honor to your name? Or do the things I do defame your name? I'll quote from, from the Psalms. Selah. Pause and think about that. Lord, do the things I do give you honor? Or can they be, are they questionable? If they're questionable, leave them alone. When in doubt, don't. Well, turn to 1 Peter, chapter 2. Starting at verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, all deceit. Remember what the same word. And hypocrisy and envies and all evil speaking. Hmm. They had no guile in their mouth. Peter's here telling you what they didn't have in their mouth. Laying aside all malice. Well, Pastor, you don't know what they've done to me. I may not. But the Word of God says, lay it aside. It still says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Well, God, I want to help you. I want to help you 
pay them back. I won't ask for people that the show of hands have tried to do that, but I have one question. How'd that work out for you? The more we try to get our own vengeance, the worse it becomes. The more envy and strife that comes in our, into our life. Let's continue. And as newborn babes desire the sincere word, or the earnestly desire the sincere or the pure milk of the of the word, that, <coughs> excuse me, that they can grow thereby. If so be they have tasted that the Lord uh, is gracious or is good. Have you tasted of him? One of the things I, I've learned that when I've tasted of him, I do not have a bad aftertaste. You understand what I'm saying? I can remember the first time I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I woke up the next morning and there was the term getting drunk in the spirit. And I I was in my mid-teens and said, Lord, you know what? I don't have a bad aftertaste. Letting him refill me doesn't leave a bad taste in my mouth. I'm being simplistic, but you understand what I'm saying. Doing the things and receiving from him never gives you that which is regretful. You can have a little bit of a hangover, the bubbling of the spirit within you, but it doesn't cause a headache. No regrets. Thank you. Absolutely no regrets. Let's continue quickly here. Verse 4. To whom coming as living stone, disallowed indeed of the men, but chosen or selected, preferred with God. And precious, ye also are living stones that are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're to be kings and priests under God. That's what that 144,000 are. They're kings and priests under God. Our sacrifice is to be a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1 says, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. His reasonable service is that we yield ourselves completely to him. We don't offer bulls and goats and so forth or lambs anymore. We offer ourselves. Have you ever had the nerve to offer yourself to God? Say, Lord, whatever, wherever, to whoever, 
I yield myself to you. Be careful, because he'll take you up at your word. He said, go to that one, go to that ornery boss and ask him, is there anything I can do to help you? Instead of hiding from him, go show yourself a testimony of Christianity. Well, that's in this too. So let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Where is also contained in the scriptures, I lay, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. We did an illustration of a cornerstone a few weeks back. He that believeth, he that has confidence on him shall not be condemned or confounded or made ashamed. Unto you which believe, again, have confidence he is precious. There's a preciousness about him. But then that uh, uh, that which be disobedient, that are unbelieving, refuse to believe, is there anything in our life where we refuse to believe that God is able to move? You may have children that just are running so, trying to run so far away from God, it's hard to still believe that God, you're in the control. There is a time. See, he tells us in his word, he says, they go out to sea, they're going to do their own thing, and I bring a storm up. And it's a storm they can't handle. So I bring them to their wit's end. Are we willing to let him bring even our children, who he loves more than we do, to their wit's end? Or are we going to go in and try to help and keep them from coming to a place where they have no one else to turn to but God? And he says, I will bring them to their wits, and they cry out to me, and I answer. Oh, God, hear me. When they come to the end of themselves and cry to him, he will answer. Blessed be his holy name. And my time is getting away from me, but I'm just going to jump down on a few verses here. Verse 9 out of the Weymouth translation says, that you are a, ch a chosen race, a holy, uh, a, priest, a priesthood in, of kingly lineage, and a holy nation. Again, this is all relating back to the 144,000 in Revelation 14. A people coming up especially to God, a belonging especially to God, that they may be, make known the perfections of him who called out of darkness into his marvelous light. All of us he found in some degree of darkness. And he called us into his marvelous light. 
We may have been religious sinners. He still, we were still in darkness. He brought us out to his marvelous light. Sometimes the light is overwhelming. Let it be. Your eyes will adjust. Your heart and mind will adjust. Verse 12 out of the Amplified. Conduct yourself properly and honorably, righteously among the Gentiles so, they, uh, so that although they may slander you as evildoers, yet they, will, they may by witnessing your good deeds come to glorify God in the days of inspection when God shall look upon you wanderers as pastors or shepherds look upon their flock. In the midst of it, he says, talked of your servants and said, serve your masters, serve your bosses, whether they be honorable or reprobate. Serve them as you would serve me. As a testimony to me and to them of what a saint is and who a saint is. See, they expect most of the ornery bosses I've had knew they were ornery, knew they were unreasonable. I did all I could to do what they required, and the Lord helped me to do the rest. See, I first set my mind to say, Lord, I'm going to obey them as unto you. And eventually they began to understand I can trust him. There's something different about him. And the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you grumble and complain and dislike everybody else, how are you different? What testimony are you giving? I'll just, amen, Brother Chuck. I'm going to close off there. Well, verse 22 says, Who committed no sin, and nor was deceit found in their mouths. This second chapter of Peter is a detailed description of of who Revelation 14 is talking about. The qualifications. Can you see that? Father, we just ask truly that you call and seal this word to our hearts. We thank you, my God, for your precious word. Our Lord, your word always explains itself. We thank you, my God. You don't leave us hanging out there to dry. You don't leave us with our own interpretations, but your word explains itself. Come, O Holy One, guide and direct us by your Spirit, my God. As we have questions, let us ask you, and you will guide and direct us to the answer. 
because you are truth. And you can do nothing but tell us the truth. So Lord, just bless this precious people. Seal this word to our hearts. Let it be that which my God will cause us to grow and walk purposefully in your, your path. In the holy and matchless name of Jesus Christ we pray. And you say amen. Amen, the Lord bless, bless you. Um, at this point, we don't know what the...